Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media. A good story is a good story. Hosted by Marsha Casper Cook. Live shows every week with interesting interviews in the entertainment field with writers, producers, directors, and screenwriters. There's also shows about newsworthy topics and group discussions about writing tips to help writers reach success. New to the show are conversations about personal struggles and how to feel good about yourself in today's world. One thing's for sure, it's always a lively conversation and lots of fun. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha, and this is the last show of the year. I'm taking a couple weeks off because everybody's very busy. I want to wish everybody happy, healthy holidays. And I have two of the people that have been on many times before, Eleanor Parker Sapia and uh, Jack Remick and me. And we'll have a great time today. But I just uh, there's a couple announcements I want to make. Let's see. Um, yeah, I will be. I, I think I'll still be doing the shows in the morning. A lot of people have you know, that have been guests like it in the morning. So I've changed my show several times. I started at night, then I went to day, then I changed Tuesday, then I went Monday, then <laughs> I went Thursday. So I, I think this might work, you know, um, because this is all, you know, for those that are listening, if you can't be listening at the time of the show, it's on demand or on iTunes. And uh, most of the shows, I think there's at least 300 shows on iTunes that I've done, I have done more than that, but I think they picked it up about 300 shows ago, I think. And so there are a lot of shows, but most of the things that we talk about are repetitious, but as the years go on, things change. So we talk about marketing, we talk about books, we talk about different things, but lately I have added some shows on struggling because I think a lot of people are struggling. And so if you're a person that would like a certain topic, if you text me or if you Facebook message me, I'm happy to try to get guests on that will talk about that. And if that person would like to come on, that's fine too, because I think after COVID, um, as much as people don't want to think about it, it is still here and people are still struggling. A lot of people are not back at their office um, and so I think that, you know, and I'm going to have a special guest, Eleanor's daughter will be on, Heather. She will be, we'll be talking yeah. in January, and it should be a really good show. Uh, she's qualified to talk about all of these things. So I think everybody that comes on the show, it's not just people that I pick off of the street. Everybody has a reason for being here. And Eleanor introduced me to her daughter, and so we will talk about that because I have a lot of people on my shows that are struggling. We may not talk mm-hmm. about it as much, but they like to hear other people's, you know, because nobody wants to feel they're alone in this. COVID, it's three years almost in March, and there's a big difference in a lot of people I know. And it's it's not really about the shots. It's not political. It's just that it, we have effects from it, and I think it's mental strain for people. So I think those are the important shows now to have, so I will be adding those in like I did last year. And also we'll have fun with it also because, you know, we just have to lighten up a little. You know, just because we're talking about struggling doesn't mean it's going to be a show just about that. It's going to probably be a show about how to get out of the struggling, you know. And so I think that will help people. 
And I do, we'll have some other shows. I'm going to have Kathy Goldwyn on next year, and we're going to be doing maybe some scripts. We're going to have readings of scripts. I'd like to do that. I always wanted to do that. I think I did it years ago, and I think that will be fun. And today, since this is the last show, I have Eleanor and Jack, who um, Jack is a very interesting guy who also introduced me to so many people, Jasmina from the magazine, uh, we have Priscilla Long on, and Jack is an excellent person to talk to about women and their issues because he writes women very well and he understands us and he actually puts us together and Eleanor and I met through Jack. So he puts the personalities together and Priscilla Long was just on and also Jasmina. She's in Australia. She would be on more, but her the time is completely different than ours. But she knows about the show today and we're, uh, she's been doing books. I, she's going to have six editions of books about different subjects, you know. Uh, so because people are, it doesn't matter. If, it's not just, you know, America. It's everybody struggling all through the world. And I, EYS mm-hmm. Magazine does have people all around the world. So um, yeah. I'm going to let Eleanor and Jack tell you a little bit about themselves, and then we'll just get on with the show, and we will have fun. Eleanor? So good. I'm so oh. glad to have you on my last show of the year. And this Thank is good. you. I'm always happy to be back and to be with you and Jack. Um, it's always a pleasure, and I wish you all happy, Thank healthy you. holidays as well. Thank you. Um, yes, absolutely. It's Your show is, is always um, – I listen to the, um, to the recordings after. Um, yeah. I usually – get very distracted when I hear them when they're live, and I'm, my yeah. brain starts going <laughs> when I right. <laughs> right. and it's about writing. So yeah. I like to, like, it's hard just to read a book when you're an author or a writer yeah. because you tend to look at things, um, you know, with your writer brain. So I like to listen to it afterwards. Right. Um, but I've loved so many great shows. I'm, I'm Thank so you so much. Happy. Thank you. Definitely, and Jack, always a pleasure. He was—he is someone who has uh, mentored me in the past. He has one—he's really he's a brilliant writer. I've yes. always learned so much from him, not only about writing but just life in general. Um, yeah, very wise man. Where we're, yes, so I'm always happy. Yeah, happy to be on with yeah. both of you. So I was an exhibiting painter of portraits and still life for 25 years uh, before I started writing poetry. Um, and it would it would probably take another year to begin writing my first novel, A Decent Woman, uh, set in 1900 Puerto Rico, where I was born. The novel took 10 years to publish, and, and I'm happiest when I'm with my adult kids and when I travel, especially when I'm writing and making art. But these poems I kept writing, I stashed in a cardboard box for nearly 10 years because I was going through a divorce, a separation first, left Europe after 13 years when my children were raised, and I was coming back as a now separated 50-year-old single mother of two adult kids, but they were they were both in, in university at that time. So it's the box, just I just didn't open it. And at the end of 2019, and I'd already published A Decent Woman, actually it's been published three times, three different publishers, um, the last time was 2019. 
And then in 2019, just before COVID, not before, I mean, I already knew it was a thing because my son and his uh, fiancé at the time were already telling me that something was happening in China and to be very, very alert and to pay attention. So right as COVID was beginning to be in the news here in the United States, um, I read the poem in quarantine because by then we were all to be in quarantine. And I was in solo quarantine because I live alone. So I reworked many of these poems and wrote new poems, and my first collection was called Tight Knots, Loose Thread, published in 2020. And it was time, I felt like it was time to raise my voice again, but the experience of writing in a poetry collection, editing and marketing and readers' reactions were very different. So that's what, and I've been thinking about that all through 2021, and it's kind of the same now. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today is, is how we write at different stages of our lives, women um, and men, but I can't speak about men, so I will just uh, like to talk well, about Jack just that. Jack, and, Jack will do yeah, that. But Jack writes, well. Jack writes women. Jack writes women. Really uh, well, let me... Let me jump in right here for a minute. Let me jump in okay. for a minute. You know, I see more and more of this. I don't want to call it a misanthropy, but it's a distrust of men uh, yeah. for for a lot of reasons. And, and yeah. I've taken that to heart and have written two books about that. One is Gabriella and the Widow, and the other is Citadel. And yeah. I take Citadel to the extreme where the women in the novel just say we just can't do this anymore we can't put up with the violence and the hate and so they mm. develop a whole social social cultural system and this is this is a touchy part and i admit that this is a touchy part where they use mm-hmm. men only as sperm donors in order to make while they're making a decision about whether or not to push the race to extinction by no longer reproducing because when you right. give women the choice, you know, mm. they make the right choice. If you leave the choice for women's lives to men, they make the mm. wrong choice. So in Citadel, yeah. what I did was mm. just extrapolate to a future time where women mm-hmm. have total control of the reproductive system. And I think mm-hmm. that we have to go there. We have to test that limit before yeah. we can actually come back to some kind of a middle ground where the women are not suppressed and oppressed and beaten and raped and murdered by men just for being mm. women. Now, yeah, that's a pretty exactly. strong statement, but that's the essence of the novel, uh, Citadel. It's a wonderful novel. It was and, fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, unfortunately, what you said, though, is happening, you know, it happens all over the world, and, you know, women's rights are all at stake again. And, uh, you know, I I just think that, you know, what you're saying, you know, women have come such a long way, and we all have our own opinions on things. And so I think more and more women are out there writing. You know, they're also doing documentaries. They're doing, you know, uh, plays to get the word out. You know, even the comedians yeah. out there. Let you me, know, let and, me let yeah. me add one more thing to that. You know, okay. Helen and I, my wife, we we tend to watch a lot of documentary films and stuff because 
there's more. There's a lot more social truth in some of them than there is in our. Yes, fiction. now there's a lot of them. And, yeah, we watched. We watched a, a comedian. I've forgotten her name, but she's just absolutely brilliant. She says, "Do you know what men want from women? They just want women to shut the fuck up." Yeah. You know, yeah. This is coming from a woman. In other words. When you shut the women up, then you you actually cleave the culture in half, and what could have been spoken and used to make the world better actually goes yep. silent, and the silence exactly. is what has killed so many women. But at the same time, what we see is that women speak out, men get irate, and they say, "Well, let's just kill those bitches," you yeah. know, yeah. and that. Well, well that, that, you know, and, and let me say, uh, uh, before I forget, but, but I wanted to add something. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's daughter did a documentary, speaking of very strong women, it's called Pelosi in mm-hmm. the House, and it's on HBO. I saw it last night with my husband. It's it, it's really, really good. It takes her all the way from the beginning of her career until mm-hmm. now. And we want to talk strong. This is a very mm-hmm. strong woman. And... Uh, this this is a a path for women. I mean she's. I mean this is a really. It was so interesting because it's a lot of things you didn't know. Her daughter was the producer of it, and it it takes her all the way to January sixth. But it's really good. So if people get a chance to watch it, it may maybe it'll come on other. You know sometimes they do come on other stations, but usually HBO. I'm not sure mm-hmm. about, but sometimes Hulu picks things up too and things like that. But but I mm-hmm. do think that she's a really strong woman, and we do have some very strong women. And you're right, you know, what you just said, Jack, because that is something that happens. And, Eleanor, you have so many things you want to talk about. What What would you, what would, where do you want to start? Can I, can I say something before yeah. about, that, about Ellie? Ellie mentioned something that's really important for us as writers and I think as human beings. She talked about the time that she spent as a non-writer, you know. Well, yeah. and then she started to write, and her first novel is called A Decent Woman. And mm-hmm. that that novel shows the maturity of a writer who has waited and has lived long enough to understand what it means to be a, a woman in a culture that doesn't like women especially. And yeah, so mm-hmm. she touched on something so important. So many young writers come up, they write a story, they get it published, they say, "Oh boy, now I'm a writer," you know, and they never, mm-hmm. they forget to live, you know. And and I don't mean you have to go out. And, I don't have to mean you have to go out and, you know, uh, but you do, you do have to spend enough time to get inside being a human being, and that's really right. hard. When I was writing both Citadel and Gabrielle and the Widow. The reviewers would say, "I don't understand how a man could have written this book." Right? Yeah. Well, the reason I could write that book is I didn't write it when I was 16. I wrote it when I was older, and I had spent yeah. the time studying myself, so that in effect, I took the method actor approach to the writing and said, "If I am to write about this young woman, I have to become a young woman." I have a poet mm-hmm. named John Raven, who was a kind of a—he was one of the greatest poets of the 20th century that no one's ever heard of. But he used to tell me, he says, "Look, Jack, don't write about the bird; become the bird. 
Well, that's the the material that the method actor uses. You have to find the experience in you that you're going to project Mm -hmm. into the character. So it's all method acting. So, Ellie, congratulations. I I really am proud of you for having taken the time to to, to take the time. And your poetry also shows that same kind of depth and persistence. You know, mm. I mean, when I first read your volume of poetry, I recommended that you read Trois et Moi by Paul Géraldy, who was a French poet in the 30s. Yeah. And in, cause your, your, your poetry has the same depth of inference and implication mm. as his poetry. It's very deep stuff, uh, Marshall. And Priscilla, uh, you know, I want to, Eleanor, I, I think yeah. it would be great for you to be on a show with Priscilla Long, who has Dancing with mm. the Muse at Old Age. She was on a couple of weeks ago. You heard her, you know, and I think yeah. it would be a great show that you can talk with her because she really is, you know, she's centering in on what, you know, what what people need to do. And as people age, they write differently, like Jack is saying, and that's true because when you look at your other things, yeah. you, when you do experience more in life, you do understand more. Like a lot of times yeah. when I'm talking to someone younger, I don't want to say, oh, you know, I'm older, I'll learn. I say they will understand things differently when they grow right. older. Yeah, you do. No, you I'm don't look disparag- at it the same yeah, way. I'm not, disparaging, you know, I'm not disparaging the young neophyte writer. No, you have to have young writers. What I am absolutely. saying is that most writers let yeah. go of their work too soon. You know, they yeah. write it and they push it out because they're so eager to yeah. get published. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're so eager to get published that they push it out. Then they get disillusioned when it comes back with a few negative comments. And they, exactly. and they no longer take the time then to mature. And by the way, language is one of the most complex things in the world, and you can't just jump into it. You've got to mm. learn. And this is where Ellie touches a very deep thing. Language is just a very thin veneer over emotion. And the mm. true meaning of all writing lies in the ability of the writer to access that emotion in the simplest way, using plain language but saying extraordinary things. And that, that's right. what Billy has done in that book. Right. We need, it's, multi-generation writing is good. I mean, there are, as you see now, a lot of people teaming up you know, that are older and younger, you know, and I think it's a very good culture now for that because people are understanding each other a lot more. But listen, families spent more time together during COVID. Well, I, can't, so, I, can't, I can't agree with you there. I don't think people understand one another better. I, yeah, I don't think I, so. I really either. have well, to I, disagree with you there. There's I so much they're trying, hate they're in trying the world. to understand. Well, I think they're trying I to understand because, like, a lot of mm-hmm. families were together that have never been together before because they weren't True, working, yeah. they weren't doing anything. So normally people would go in their own rooms, like a kid would come home. Yeah. Well, let's say if a kid came home, they, they, they would come home, go in their room, go on the computer, but now they had to spend time with their parents. So I think there's some families, I think, got together and maybe they look at each other in a different way. They were in the house with each other. And sometimes it could be bad. That's another thing. That's the other thing. I've had people talk on the show about that. Because if people are, let's say, going through a divorce and they were stuck living together for like a year in a house Mm. and not going out, that was dangerous. So there are so many Mm. things that came out of this. But, okay, Ellie, go ahead. Talk about what you wanted to say. I know I don't want to. That's okay. No, no, it has to do with, it's all, um, to me, it's all silence. And silencing can be very subtle. 
Um, I've run creativity workshops for women, mostly women, and I find that their reasons for, oh, you know, this is really not for me, um, you know, my kids are at home, or, um, you know, this is just not the right timing. I think that that is what is really, has been on my mind a lot, and the reason, like Jack said, it took me 10 years to write the first novel, to, and it, I totally rewrote it. I wrote the initial novel, the manuscript, in, in six months, but it took 10 years to finish it because... Right. I was going through life. I was going through a separation yeah. after a 27-year marriage. Um, I had you know, children in university. I had, you know, I lived in Belgium, so I was working on the, couldn't work on the economy. Um, right. Even with, you know, good French, it still was not going to be an easy, you know, situation. And I didn't know that I was going to end up being there 13 years because you yeah. kind of re-up every three years. So it, it, it kind of felt unsettled. But what, why I rewrote the whole thing was because now I was in a, we were, our family was in a different dynamic. I yeah. was no longer, the, you know, I was still the mother. I'll always be my, my kid's mother, whether they like it or not. But <laughs> I was yeah. also a single woman, and I was also a struggling woman who went back to yeah. school, who had to work again. So what I rewrote, what had to be, had to happen, not that I, I pursued it, but I thought it had to be, you know, of course it always has to be better, but I realized that the protagonist, the, my heroine, the initial heroine, didn't speak to me anymore. She seemed a little bit boring, a little bit superficial, and I'm more related to the Afro-Cuban midwife who was, um, you know, she was poor at that point because anyone who goes through a divorce knows, you know, this takes a toll on your your finances confidence and you're learning things, a learning curve from a twenty seven year relationship to being thrown out into the workforce for the first time. Well it was all different. And that was okay. So the poetry again was written when I was a married mother of high school kids at that time. And when I was able, finally, to sit down and I moved to West Virginia where I could afford to write full-time, I read some of the poems and thought, well, yeah, I see it. I see what I was saying. It's valid. It was valid for back then. So if I want to put this out, I have to rewrite. And then I wrote many new poems. Um, And they weren't all about me. The majority were. But I also had thoughts during poetry because unlike writing a novel – which was laced throughout with um, family stories, you know, not verbatim stories or verbatim, you know, um, conversations, but it was a family, like I knew this subject. And my poetry collection was about, you know, love and passion and, and, and um, relationships, complications, unexpected uh, things that happen, betrayals adultery, and I also have one of the poems is, is actually in the voice of the woman who is the lover of the married husband, yeah. but it it was reading like a novel to me, but one thing I felt was very different was that I felt more exposed 
And a lot of things came up for me in that I thought of, well, okay. Yeah, I, I think you, you touch on something really important there. Uh, the writer who masks, you know, the, the emotion is actually, mm. I won't say lying, but isn't speaking the full truth. Because Absolutely. you can only understand language and the passion that the language covers if you've exposed mm. yourself to it and taken the chances mm. with it. We, exactly. We've got to learn to take chances instead of being safe. As writers, we have to mm. take chances instead of being safe. Otherwise, you just write mm-hmm. what everyone else has written, and you don't want to do that. Exactly. I think. Exactly. You have to be I willing. Totally but you have to be willing to take the chance and to yes. open up. You, and, you know, that's you do. that's really what it is. You have to be willing, because a lot of people live their whole lives without telling the truth about how they really feel about things, which in a lot of ways right. is sad because they keep it in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's not really healthy either. Let, let me ask both I of you a question. What does the mm-hmm. word love mean? If you can use one word to say, I love my cat, I love my car, I love spaghetti, I love dancing, and I love my lover. I mean, how can you use one word? So you've got to go underneath the words to find out what's driving them. And in yes. past times when we've met, Marsha, I have suggested that writers learn more from reading about the brain and the body and the mind than they do from reading other novels. So I suggest yeah. that every writer read something like Eric Candle's book, The Age of Insight, or Michael Gazanik's right. book, the, the Consciousness Instinct, where these guys are talking about what the brain is, what language is, what words mean, how they get meaning. And as a writer, you have to understand the depth that language really is. I mean, my yeah. goodness, we're talking about a, you know, the thing that differentiates the human species from every other species on the planet. We can actually mm-hmm. write our own history and project a future in which we are not. I do right. not know yet of a buffalo who's ever written a history of the buffaloes. You know what I mean? <laughs> So we we we've got to you know we've got to delve into this so deep, and I I think mm-hmm. that circles back to Ellie's notion about the passion. Passion's the driver of all this. It is. But it we is. use the I word. I think a lot of people a lot of people don't want to look. A lot of people and writers do not want to look deep enough. They don't. That's that's just um, the way course, it is. Yeah, I mean, and exactly. they may they may someday or they may never. You know, because when you look deep sometimes, it's very upsetting Mm -hmm. to people. And sometimes they choose not to because when they, that's why a lot of people don't want to go into therapy. They don't want to go as far back as they need to go because they try to not, you know, they try to put it out of their mind. With all of us as writers, we've got to figure out our characters because we figure out, that's why we talk about this more than other people do because when we're writing, our characters have to go through different phases. Yeah. And so we yeah, notice it more. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think for me it was it was also, you know, it's all, I always think about this, and I don't even know the whole quote, but it's like I'm a part of everything I've met. Well, I'm a part of everything that I've dared to do. And yeah. I went into counseling um, to counsel others. I went into a program in, in Brussels, and for the first time, um, and I was age probably like 47, 
um, a part of that was that I had to have a, a, what you call it, a supervisor, like a therapist. I had to have a therapist, and that therapist had a therapist. And I, this was before my marital um, separation, and I wanted to become a counselor. That's what I thought. That's what I thought my life, you know, purpose was. And I had therapy for four years. So then when I became a counselor, and I was only in Brussels once I, you know, finished the whole uh, curriculum and um, I did my practicum um, in, a, in the only speak English-speaking counseling center in Brussels, I realized that I could understand because I had lived many of the things that my clients were talking about. But some of them, all it required was just listening and watching. Like, I think most writers are watchers. We listen to other conversations. Yes, To body language, to how someone speaks. Um, you know, and, and, and this actually was really, it's always been helpful. So I, because I've done a bit of counseling, I've journaled my whole adult life, I'm very in touch with what, who I am, what my faults are, what my, um, you know, deep uh, disappointments are, and, you know, and, and you don't lie to yourself when you journal. And I think for me, I think it's fortunate that I am not going to hide you know, anything in my novel, nothing. There will be people that I get to death Let me interrupt you. I I don't like to talk over you, but you keep raising Mm -hmm. these points that trigger me, and I want to, I just got to say something, okay? (laughs) Uh, One of the things that we're we're, we're circling around here is the fear of the reader to go deep into the work. Exactly. It's often not the writer's fault, that the, nope. that the reader has trouble. It's the reader's fault because yes. they want to, everybody wants to be safe in a time of danger. And, yep. and if you as a writer are writing on the edge and all that mm. passion is boiling out, a lot of people are mm. afraid of that. So we've got to be aware that, that the reader is in fact a tyrant who dictates mm. to you what she or she wants you to write in order to satisfy his or her own inner needs. And so Absolutely. as a writer, yeah, you, you've got to just take that into consideration and go ahead and go as far as you can. Go but a lot of times can. books like that, Jack, uh, you know, books like that, people, you know, a lot of people, they look at the bestseller list and they look at that and they go, I need to read this book, okay? And then there's a lot of great writers out there that will never have people reading their books because they're not mm-hmm. on the bestseller and they don't know who they are and they're not going to even look at their books, you know. And mm. that's that's a problem because some of the books that are great, I mean, even when I was an agent, I had wonderful screenplays from people and books and they got passed on. And I always say this on my shows, I feel bad because a lot of them were so good and they just, and mm. those people gave up because, you know, if you're not yeah. right in that, Social, you know, there's the same people that write this, like a lot of books. We all, we all see it. You know, there's people that write 20, 30, 40 books, and they're all bestsellers, but they're in the same publishing house, and they push them out. But then there's all the other writers out there that 
nobody's pushing mm. them out. And then they get well, reviews you know, think, that don't well, make sense not. because the person doesn't read the book and they just write a horrible review on something they didn't even finish. So that's yeah. a, it's a tough spot for well, writers. You, you see, Marcia, now you've raised something that I've got to comment on, okay? Okay. I, I think mm-hmm. deep in what you're saying <laughs> is the question, why do we write? And mm. when I was teaching at the university, my students would, you know, one we finished a class, and the students gave me a T-shirt, and on the T-shirt it said, why do I write? And the mm. answer was, so I have something to rewrite. Now, if you're mm-hmm. writing because you, you, you love yeah. to write, you want to tell the story. In fact, you want to explore all the characters that are in you, then you yeah. may not be writing for money. See, after mm-hmm. Dr. Johnson told us that the whole, es- whole reason to write is to make money, we have yeah. basically ruined generations and generations of great storytellers because yes, they prostitute themselves in order to write yes. to make money. And that's yeah, the I problem. Um, we can't it's escape it. Thing. It's there. Yeah, it's going to eat mm-hmm. us alive. But look how lucky it is for people now. Look how lucky it is for people now that get to independently publish because those same people, their manuscripts would be stuck in a drawer. And now they brought them out. So we have a lot of writers that are out there, despite the big six not taking them in, you know, and they're doing well. And that is, that's what I think people don't understand, how great that is. We were talking about rejection letters on some of my shows, and the fact that the people now don't get rejection letters is a different thing because you do your own work and then you don't get those rejection letters. And that's the problem, though, because if you don't ever get rejection letters, you don't know Mm. what it's like, and then you think everything you do is great. But even though the rejection letters were kind of form letters, but it, it made you aware of the fact that, no, I'm not getting in here, but I'll still keep going. And every time I used to get a... A letter, I kept going. I kept going, no, this is not going to yeah. happen. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. But you yeah. have to be strong exactly. enough to do that. You do. You do. Because it, it's hard. It's, it's very hard. It, it reminds me of, too, when, when uh, the poetry collection came out in 2020, um, two beta readers um, immediately contacted me and said, oh, L.A., I'm so triggered. I cannot read. I can't finish and I said, I understand, and I thank them for being honest. That was the first time that I had ever had that happen. It never happened with a decent woman. Then a few weeks later, I had a face-to-face conversation with a woman, a stranger, who had read the poetry collection, Tight Knots, Loose Threads, and she asked me a question. She asked me, how... What did your kids and your husband think about the more, and she used, you know, air quote, racy poems in your in your poetry mm-hmm. collection? Mm-hmm. And I kind of laughed because yep. I said, well, and to myself, my first reaction was, wow, do I know this woman? Because, right. I mean, that's a pretty personal <laughs> question. I'd never yeah, been asked that before. Yeah. So I didn't know. And then I followed, it was followed by a gut feeling of, of, it was interesting because I journaled about it and I thought, you know what, I feel irritated because you don't know me. And I feel a little like a little gut punch, but I also know 
that she's bringing this up for a really good reason. So I wanted to know who, who she was. So I asked her if she was a writer. She said, no. I said, a poet, maybe? She said, no, I could never be a writer. She said, and this was the cleanser, my kids and my husband would be mortified if I wrote anything. There you go. You're covering so much ground here. You're covering so much ground. It's not an independent woman. You're not giving her time to react to it. But just a moment now. Just a moment. You touch on something really important. Let's go back to that word triggered. You said mm-hmm. the woman was so triggered that she couldn't finish it. Well, I asked right. myself, now this is going to be a bold, you know, face, you know, pie in your face kind of question. Well, we can handle well, it. What, we can man, handle. what man hurt her so bad that she is triggered by these yeah. very words? What man did that? Might have been her mother, but chances are it was yeah. a man who ruined her. Yeah. See, and you have to ask yourself, why are those triggers so important? Because women are sexually assaulted, women are beaten, mm-hmm. women are abandoned, right. women are hurt right. in so many ways. Your poetry right. is talking to the pure passion of love that a lot mm-hmm. of women have shied away from because the men mm-hmm. have ruined them. You know? But it could right. be women. I'm it could have been her mother. Right it could be a mother that Lucifer. did this. You know, Jack, mothers can mothers can do this to a person too. I mean, you know, right. a mother can absolutely ruin a child's life at any age. Who ruined the mother, sometimes... Marcia? Who ruined hmm? the mother? Exactly. Well, it just goes on. But know, this could go on who and on. Ruined you the know. mother? <laughs> Tell me who yeah. ruined well, the right. mother. Well, right. But but there has to be someone that's strong enough, like okay, like Eleanor is. To just break that mold and come out and just there say it. There you go. That's it. See, there that's, you go. That's right. Eleanor. Yeah. Well, yeah. You cannot be driven by the triggers that other people have instilled no. in you. As a no, writer, no. you have to overcome them. And you have to say, exactly. no, in Citadel, I write that the most important word in, the, in, in any language is no. If the woman yeah. can say no and stand up... Yeah. She's probably going to get hit in the head with a skillet or slapped across the face and off the room. And that's what men do. Yeah. We have to recognize yeah. that. We have to re-educate men to accept the humanity of all humans instead of but, making right. their there greedy, men. bloated so egos are good and men, driving Jack, the world. So we don't want to say that either. You can't say because a lot of men are really <laughs> even a lot of the younger men are are learning from their fathers. Not They don't want to be the same way their fathers were sometimes. They want mm-hmm. to be different. And so there, yeah. there are a lot of men that are taking care of children, and they never did that before, you know. And, you know, in the times before, you know, on and on, men didn't do the same things, but now there are men actually doing some of these things. I just was hearing a story that they're talking about people, men, you know, possibly. They don't, women have taken men male jobs. Now they're saying maybe men should consider going into fields that women did before, like like nursing and things like that. That's what they're doing. So it, a lot of the younger men have changed the way it's going because they are caring about their family and their wives and actually getting involved in their children's activities more than years and years ago. That's Now right. people are well, taking the what, time. Well, there, there are men who, who, who well, have been. Why does, the question then is, why, does, why do the words stupid bitch still exist in the language? 
See, the language yeah. drives us and shapes us. And when young yeah, boys exactly. hear the word, she's just a hoe, yeah. right? right? That doesn't mean an right. instrument that you use right. in your garden. That's a demeaning yeah. term that young guys use to talk about the women in their lives. Stupid yeah. bitch. You know, you and, don't and, well, and there are women, there are women that out. say other things about men too. They, they're not, you know, they're not shy to say some nice words right. well, about. They, they it, can, they swear is. pretty good to men about yeah. men too. Now, women do that now. Yeah, I think going Just back because to the, the roles the, are reversed doesn't mean that either of them is is the right role. No, right, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say that it's just it's just my motive, my I question people's motivations about yeah. what you just said. Like what what is the motivation? Because I yeah. remember I had a dentist in like twenty I think it was like twenty twenty not even twenty, what year was that? Like twenty two thousand two. A dentist saying that he was passed over um for a partner, I guess it was for a Latina um, dentist, and mm-hmm. and that was 2002. So this stuff has been going on for a long time. So I have to, I yeah. would have to question that. But I think you know, we as writers, we're used to judgment and criticism, and yeah. you know, and literary reviews yeah. yeah. are great. Some are not. It comes with the territory. But yeah. the me- another, I think it's just a subtle. There's a subtle shaming and a subtle silencing that I have been watching in in my life, in very good friends' lives, and mostly from women, adult children, and their significant others. And the women I know, and I don't know if it's because of COVID, I don't know because it's because a lot of, like you said, people are struggling. There's this myriad yep. things that people are dealing with, you know, loss of job, loss of, you know, um, career because they've had to now come back home and, you know, work with their children, homeschool their children. Right. But it's, it's always been there. I had an admiral's wife when I was a young um, army wife. Who, and I was painting even then, and I was painting nudes because that is, if I paint portraits, that's the only way to right. understand the human body is to paint it in the nude. So when you do put clothes on it or don't put clothes on it, you have a good, um, what's the word, a good grasp of, of the muscles, of you know, the, the bone structure, everything. Yeah. Well, she came in for a morning coffee and pulled me aside before all the other women got there and said, you know, you might want to remove the framed nude paintings from your living room. Now, I barely knew her. What I knew was that she was the wife of my husband's boss. And the military military has rules for wives. It's not like Army wives. The show. I I would watch right. that movie. Would be like, <laughs> right. oh be like oh, that yeah. is such worship. That is just not the, re- the reality of it. Because there were folders for each wife of each active duty officer. Now I never saw a folder with my name on it. I don't even know if those yeah. rules are true. But for NATO wives, which I was also in Buffalo for a shorter amount of time, there were unspoken rules. There were. 
I was painting, writing, raising my kids, volunteering as a counselor and a refugee caseworker outside of the American community. But I was like, I was they I, people would let me know that I was straddling to you know too many plates up in the air, you know just just be an army wife or just you know join us for everything that's going on with your kids' school, and no, my kids were in high school by that point. I had they left at seven, they arrived at seven at night. I had all day. I yeah. wanted to make sure that I could be creative, but it's these archetypes, and that's the only thing I could think of of like. The polite lady, the maiden, the mother, the crone. Well, well, you know, that's one of the reasons. I've had several shows on Handmaid's Tale because um, it's got it's very it's it's got a lot of everything in it that women absolutely hate, and we love the show Mm -hmm. because of what we're watching, and it's very scary. And for a lot of women, mm-hmm. you know, and I've heard people say, oh, I don't want to watch that. But the truth of the matter is that was a society, Gilead, that was absolutely nobody would ever want to see anything like that. And there are possibilities that it is out. It, I mean, well, it is out there. Yeah, but oh, that's, that's we, we couldn't, yeah, that's we couldn't get over how many people wanted to have shows about that. And we had many. And I probably mm-hmm. we never had on the last season. But honestly, it's a very scary thing when you watch that. Because right. women, you know, they couldn't think for themselves, mm. you know, yeah. and there were a couple men in the in there that absolutely really shouldn't have been in with the other men, but they were there, okay? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Margaret Atwood, I mean, she, listen, she wrote that so long ago, and she's still alive, so she had a lot to say on the set. You know, I mean, they've all, you know, she was on the set, I mm-hmm. think, or, you know, or things like that to... You know, it's an incredible thing to watch women go through that in our time mm-hmm. to watch it. Well, and it, it's scary. It has gone on, and and it is going on, and it has always gone on. Yes, and it's um, scary. I think for I think for um, women of color, that is also still yeah. going on. Um, I think um, during this this like 2021 and and and. This year, actually, because I'm writing my second novel, is called The Lament. It's about a young, naive, uh, kind-hearted, idealistic young novice nun. And the convent, I decided probably four months ago, that it would be a silent convent. And that... Wow. That is really now. I don't do anything easy, of course. So this right, right. <laughs> neither does language. Jack. Both of you. Neither yeah. of you. Yeah, it's got to be. As I'm fascinated by communication and silence, and the silence yeah. of communication. And I found a quote by Joanna Russ, who wrote "How to Suppress Women's Writing." I'd never heard of it, but because I'm now thinking of silence as even a character of this novel, um, it's fascinating, and it's like a guidebook, I would call it, because she writes about the barriers that work against women who dare to live the writing life. And here, I normally don't read, but I saw this passage, and I would love to share it with you. It's quote, She didn't write it. That's her quote. She wrote it, but she shouldn't have. 
She wrote it, but look what she wrote about. She wrote it, but she really isn't an artist. And it isn't really art. She wrote it, but she had help. She wrote it, but she's an anomaly. She wrote it, but. So those are the challenges and and barriers. You know, living in art making or written art, it's how we have how many women do give up on writing or living an artistic life because someone puts them in a box with a nice label that doesn't allow them to grow. And I'm talking about growth at any age because I'm 65 and I don't know. I've got to interrupt here because you've covered a huge amount of ground. One thing you said, someone puts them in a box with a nice label on. Who is that someone? Is it the culture? Is it the men? Is it the women? Who Who is the operant here? Who's the agent of this repression? So you're talking about the lack of freedom, the inability right. of women to break out of whatever mold they've been locked in. And I need mm-hmm. to know that as a writer. I need to know mm-hmm. what's driving women in the culture in order to find the freedom that they need to express what is in themselves without being afraid. Fear is the thing that puts them in the box. What are they afraid of? What are they being called a bitch, of being beaten up, of being raped? What's what's the fear that's driving? That's something that the culture is just so sick right now. You know? It It is is society. It is society. It can be a woman's own children. It could be her husband or boss. It could be there's a lot of reasons why women. It could be anybody. It could be anybody. Anybody that gets in the way. Anybody. We feel feel the subtle silencing, but at the end of the day, which is what I'm more interested in now, is what is the woman's role and why does she feel that way and how to get out of it. How to yeah. get out of it oh, at, at any age, at any yeah. age, because I've had younger women tell me, well, um, as a crone, um, I think, you know, you, you've always been a teacher, a nurturer, you're, you're very selfless with your family, but now you don't feel like the same woman. And I'm like, well, hell, that was like 25 years ago. Well, we should. Ch- I mean, listen. I mean, who wants to stay the same? I mean, you know. I think everybody. If you're afraid of change, that's kind of sad. But you know, just don't, not trying isn't good enough. You have to try. You know, if you want to do something, you should try. And I think women out there, there are a lot of women, young and older women now, that are trying to get out of that mold, and they're doing a good job too. I mean, you know, in a lot of different fields, women are in that never they were never in before. We have to, and, I, and I, I, I can only speak about myself. I am not married. I am not in a relationship. I have not been in a relationship for probably 10 years with anyone um, romantically. Um, and, and even when I was dating, it was, it's, it's expectations, right? It's, it's like you meet someone, and if it's online, they have this preconceived notion about you, um, and you say maybe like I did, I'm you know born in Puerto Rico, blah blah blah. Well, the first thing the guy said was, well, wow, you don't look Puerto Rican, and I was really hoping you'd have a cute little sexy accent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, 
Not well, much to say about to that. <laughs> Not much to say about that. <laughs> so I think of a woman at any point in her life, in any point yeah. in our lives, we must keep learning new things, learn yeah. to better and more authentically express ourselves. Men and women, and, men and women. And if you don't yes. ever change, this is very bad. You have to do some changing. As the world changes, for good or bad, you still have to change somewhat your thinking. Sometimes you cannot always think the same way. You know, sometimes you have to say, you know what, maybe I was wrong. You know, and I think that's the problem. People don't want to say maybe I was wrong because maybe they were. You know, I mean, you have to be able right. to apologize if somebody you do something wrong. There's a lot of people that will never apologize yeah. for anything that they do. Right. And so that becomes a standard, and that's not a good standard. You should be able to apologize. Well, you should, but there are cultures that we know of, you know, where women yes. don't dare risk right. or threaten either the family's reputation or, you know, the husband or father's career. Yes. So it's in that case, because we all know that there are, um, cultures that that yeah. do live yeah. in this way still that it's been my experience that that when women writers can can write and support with their writing that is yeah. Support. I it think I think being supportive. I think and Jack is very supportive of women writers. You know, this is a question Absolutely. I don't think I've ever. I know how I met Jack. How did you and Jack meet? Jack, um, something. My first publisher was Book Trope, um, who went bankrupt. I think it was like two years later. And my no. book manager was, and I can't even think of her last name, Mindy. And she read my manuscript, and she said, wow, I know a book, and I know the author, and you really I should think, Yeah, I think this. Jack, Jack that, is that Mindy Kelp? Yeah, right, Mindy. She, was, I think she was on my yeah, show. Yeah, Mindy, Jack's friend. Mindy, oh. Mindy, Mindy Halleck, I think her name was. Yeah. And, he, and I ordered the book and absolutely loved it and was so floored. And I was one of those women who wrote to Jack and say, how in the world can you write about a woman? And it is so spot on. And I remember he said, well, I've written for a long time, but I also have five sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. That's true. But see, that that goes to the, you've covered like eight or ten fundamental questions. Why do we write? Who is it for? You know, what makes yeah. us right? Why are we repressed? Why are we silent? Why? All of these things are in there. And I think that, they, that the thing you have to do, Ellie, I, I appreciate the fact that you're interested in silence. I, I have a little note on my computer that says silence, you know, um, because we can, <laughs> we can sometimes in, in talking too much, we can, we can miss what is actually being said around us. And sometimes it's not exactly. something that's verbal, but it's something we mm-hmm. see. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate the silence, but I think you don't want to remain too silent. You know, no. I think you want you know, to I, there, there was somebody on Facebook. Somebody on Facebook had written, they asked the question, are a lot of the writers that are out there, they're going like, were you writers that when you were in school, they told you you talk too much? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I don't even know where it was, but, you know, that, that definitely was me. There's no doubt about that. 
<laughs> it's true. And they were saying that, that did they ever get in trouble for talking too much? Because a lot of writers do yeah. talk a lot. No. You know, and some no. some don't. Yeah. So you know, right? But silence is you know. No, silence is not yeah. golden, like they used to say. Silence, whatever exactly. that was. Exactly. Yeah. It's not yeah. that. Precisely. No, you have yeah. to have a voice out there. That's the thing. We have a lot That's of voices true. out there, and Jack seems but to I meet these a, people that I have voices. Yeah, I think as a character, because the convent is, and I cannot think of the name, the proper name for the convent. Um, where they don't speak, there's only one one hour a day that they can speak. So that's her. That's like the first, like fourth or third of the of the novel, is understanding this community where where words are not they're they're forbidden, and then her journey of leaving the convent and finding her voice and and. And discovering a lot of other things that were that she was, you know, living through that were not quote normal in you know in the polite society. So it's it's interesting. So it's it's taken me another year. When I thought the book would come out this year, I thought, oh my God, silence, silence. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just <laughs> investigating it. I don't know what it's Well, that's the fun like, about being a writer, though. I mean, it really is. You know, as Jack was saying before, too, you know, you don't just throw a book out, you know, and it is hard. You know, even when I write novellas and they're still hard for me because I have to know exactly my characters. I make all these notes. I have to, everything has to fit, and I have to make sure that they, mm-hmm. I write with a lot of characters in a book. So I have to make sure mm-hmm. that they don't sound alike, which they don't. But it's, it mm-hmm. is difficult, you know, and even if it's a 180 pages or whatever, it's still you're putting people together. And so you have to yep. give it time in your brain you to actually know yep. these people, you yes. know. And, and that's you what you're doing now. Yourself. You're knowing them. You're learning them. Yeah. You're learning yeah. who and they you are. you have to listen to them, too. You have to listen yeah. to them because I yeah. can have a character and I know her in a, inside out. I've got a you know, possibly a photograph or her, her bio, because each character has a bio, right? So right. I kind of keep that together. But also we have to listen. Yeah. We have to listen while we write. And I don't mean listen to outside. We need to listen to our characters as well. Yeah, I Would think that, that's really a key. That? Jack does Would that. Jack, that? I know you do that. Jack does that. He listens to his characters speak to him. Otherwise he couldn't write as well as he does women. Because they're talking to yeah. you. Let me ask you both a question about this writing that we're on that, that topic. Um, what is technique? We talk about technique a lot. What does that mean? Is there just one technique, or are there lots of techniques? How do you make lots. the I think there's lots come of alive? Them. Yeah. I think there's mm-hmm. lots of them. I think well, you know. Years like, ago, I used for, to think instance, everybody you wrote outlines. You talk outlines. about listening. You talk about listening to the character. Is that a technique or a process? process. These are, these are questions that people rarely ask themselves as writers because they think stories are made with words and not. Stories are made with emotions that right. find words right. to express the emotion. So my question is, you know, what, are, what techniques, Ellie, did you use in A Decent Woman to expose your character? For, let, me, let me add what I think. For instance, I think that dialogue in a novel mm-hmm. is useful not for telling the story, but for exposing right. the emotional life of the character. 
Yeah. You know, what does yeah. she need? What does she want? What can't she have? Those kinds mm-hmm. of I think that's a technique. Is is that yeah. a technique or am I just sort of, you know, blowing wind? No, because I think a lot of people that are on my show, they talk about something. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. You brought, you brought this up in one of our classes, our sessions, and I never forgot this. So I hope that you, yes, please expand on that if we have time. It's Wonderful okay. information. Okay. Well, the, the way I the way I have come to understand how to write from a woman's point of view is, as my friend John Raven said, don't don't write about a woman, become the woman. And in order yeah. to do that, you have to expose yeah. the sides of you that you've been ignoring, the caring, loving, introspective, you know, family oriented. Uh, process that that makes women Mm -hmm. so powerful. My friend Frank, he was on your show once, Marcia. He studies Japanese, and he says a saying in Japanese, women are weak, mothers are strong. So there's a, I mean, in that transition, how do you expose that in a character? And I think that that's what dialogue does. It gives us a sense of the depth of character and yeah. Emily Zantz, who was a professor at Davis of French literature, she was studying a bunch of, I think, Maupassant and, and Flaubert. She said, you know what makes mm-hmm. Balzac a great writer? And I said, oh, because, uh, you know, he writes about, no, no, he does it. He says, no, because of what he leaves out. He doesn't say mm-hmm. everything. He leaves it up for the reader to fill in some stuff. And I think that applies exactly. to that notion of is dialogue as the essence of the to enter into the character's mind. So when, and as an example to expound a little bit more, when I was writing Citadel, I in the novel two things happen. One, Tricia, who is the editor, becomes a character mm-hmm. in the novel. She's editing, and in order to make Tricia become a character in the novel, I had to become Tricia. Now, mm-hmm. what this says is the writer must be a multifaceted method actor. You have to feel mm-hmm. all the characters with the same intensity and be able That's to draw cool. out their feet. And you can only do that when when she mm-hmm. reaches out and she says, and she doesn't say, oh, my God, I want to run. She, says, she reaches out and she says, oh, oh, that's so much more. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, so, yes, that's exactly. what you leave out. See, that's what made Balzac yeah. a great writer, and it's a lesson we can learn as writers. You know, Marcia, that's you're a screenwriter, so you know all about the power of implication. Yeah, you don't that's have true. To you know, and that is true because I do. That's because, you know, I my characters do talk a lot, and I'm not as I'm not as good at description, but my characters they, they just get in a room and they talk and that's when people say, How do you write dialogue? I go, Well, you put two people in a room and somebody they're going you're gonna have a conversation, good or bad. Somebody's gonna <laughs> say something. I don't like your hair or did you change your hair? Right. <laughs> said, you didn't notice. I did this three weeks ago. <laughs> that sort of thing. Or 
you know, most a lot of writers that are on my show, we it's interesting because years ago people would say, oh, write an outline, do this and that, but almost really quite frequently people that are on the show do not have outlines. They just go because you if you have an outline, it's not as much fun in a way because you don't know what – it's more fun when you don't actually know what your characters are going to do. And if you have a good day of writing and your character does something, you go – Oh, great! You know, why didn't I think of that? You know, and they did it. Right. Yeah, it <laughs> they definitely do it. For me, the outline well, can be too restricting. Well, that's one of the reasons that I encourage writers yeah. to, you know, to read other stuff than other novels. You know, you've mm. you've got to know how the brain works. I mean, this yeah. is all about mm-hmm. the way our brain works. How our brain yep. perceives words, either auditory or visual and translate it into images in the mind that we can then talk about. I mean, I'm much better when I'm, I'm auditory because that's why I tell people, if you really don't feel like reading a book, get an audio book because yeah. I really love audio books and a lot of people don't. But I really love them, mm. and and I do write, watch a lot of TV because I listen to the dialogue. See, that's what I do. I go, oh, this because in my head I'm driving my husband crazy because I go, oh, this one I can be out of a room and I go, oh, this sounds like so and so because and then it is them because I listen to their voice and that's how I know it's. I don't even have to see it. I know their voices on TV. If I, you know, they have a distinct voice, and I go, "What were they in?" And mm-hmm. it takes me forever. Thank God we have the internet now, so I go on and go, "What, what movie was this one in?" You know, because that's <laughs> how my brain w- works. You know, in that works. way. Yeah, that's your process. That's your process. <laughs> yeah. Well, you well, know, two books that I've always recommended to writers. One of them is Elias Canetti's book called Crowds and Power. It's not about mm. writing, but if you read Crowds and Power, you can learn more about writing and how to write than you ever could by reading somebody else's novel. And that's mm. the question there. How does that work? The second book that I have been encouraging people to read is something called uh, Raw and the Cook. Lady Strauss's books about mythology. Because if we don't understand that our stories are simply current-day myths, we can never understand <laughs> yep. the deep cultural yep. attachment that we have to the past. Yeah, When I was writing the essays, I, the essays called What Do I Know? I came to a point yeah. where I talked about being lost <laughs> in deep right. time. Think of yeah. all the people before us that are lost in deep time. We don't know their names. We don't know what they look like. Yeah. And yet we're carrying some of that with us in our in our genetic structure. The past yeah. hasn't Maybe. disappeared. It's just been subsumed by our being. And so this depth of being, how we became human and how our brains were formed. Why do we have a four-level brain? We have the limbic mm-hmm. system. We have the cerebellum, the cerebrum, the, and the cortex, the frontal cortex. Why do we have four parts to our brain? My goodness. <laughs> Well, so I, I, really I have laughing. a story. I have a story of how I met Jack. Which is, okay, mm-hmm. oh, I good. met Jack. He was on a show. It has been a yes. long time, hasn't it? He yeah. was on a show on Joanne Buchanan's show. We were all together. Um, we all knew each other years ago, Joanne, and we all had shows together and whatever with uh, you know on Red River. And Joanne was a friend of mine, and I was listening to her. She had a show on a different network, and I was going. 
and I'm listening, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? You know, I go, I have to meet this guy because <laughs> he was so deep. Who is this guy? Not this guy. I said, no, who is he? Who is he? I have to talk to this guy because he was, I, I remember exactly, I was sitting there, and he, you know, on that show you could talk, you know, there was a lot of chat. I have chat here, but I don't do it anymore, but we had a lot of chatting in the in the chat room. So and I'm going like I have to hear right. this because he he there was he was going like okay uh, Joanne let him do a I think there was there was breaks in the show and then he would say something like okay look across the street tell me what you see and really tell me what you see and you have five minutes to do it and you know and remember that Jack it. I mean that that yeah and I go this is someone I have to know because it was you know all of us were you know just like you know we're we've not not that we didn't do this but I we didn't meet people like Jack you know I, and then <laughs> so great we've been friends ever since and that's why he's brought all these people that are so deep you and you know Jasmina and all these people but Jack do you remember how you used to do that where you would say okay this is a this is you know because Jack you are an unbelievable teacher. I mean, well, there's no doubt about that. Been a, you know, there's a relationship. No he has been one long love fest too. You know, to, you know, through you, I've met a lot, a lot of people. I remember he yeah. read one of my screenplays, and I go, he read a screenplay. <laughs> he did, because I have a screenplay. Because I had the brilliant idea that nobody cared about. That I thought people should take their um, screenplays and put a cover on it, mm-hmm. and then put it through Amazon, and people could read people's scripts rather than just sitting in a drawer. And so Jack, I guess, read my screenplay or something. And I went like, oh, my God, Jack Remick read my screenplay, and he and he liked it. <laughs> what? You know, and because, Jack, there's so many different facets. I mean, you have been in so many people's lives, you know, on, in, on different levels, and we're all different, and we actually are all different, which is really interesting. But we have a common, you know, camaraderie, but we are all different. And it is interesting how he did know which people to introduce me to that would become my friends, not just Facebook people, you know, and that's what the thing is. So I think people, that's the good thing about Facebook, you know, is that we have that. One of of the things that that you, you mentioned, something very important, you know, I try to, I tell myself, you know, I try not to work with people. I, I try to work only with people who know more than I do. You know, now that mm. sounds kind of strange. Think but, well, I, I don't think you know, I'm qualified. If you, if you know it all, there's no not, point. You know, so you I have to take myself off and, that list. That, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but uh, let's go a little, little mutual padding of back padding here. I read your screenplay. Well, this is fun. This is a season. You know? And no, honestly, yeah. this is the thing about radio shows and about podcasts, you know, in general. You know, when I started doing a podcast, nobody even knew what that was. They'd go like, well, where do I hear you? And now everybody in their brother has a podcast, you know. But I think mm-hmm. it's it's a way you meet people. But the most important thing that a podcast does is you get to hear their voices and talk to them as people, not just as authors, as people. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think that's what it does. So you know, because I have people on my show that have had relationships with each other as far as writing, and they've never spoke to each other. I go, well, what do you mean you've never talked to each other? We've only messaged. They don't call anybody. So I said, well, bring them on the show and we'll mm-hmm. talk. Because I think Very. it's a good thing to talk. 
I think is. this is, is for me. This has been fabulous learning so many different things from so many different authors and being That's able to talk. Thing. And trust me, this is the last thing I would ever have thought that I would ever do because I remember when I had to do a show, the first one for five minutes, I was a wreck. I didn't think, how could I possibly do this? And I guess I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know? And then everybody says, oh, yeah. you, know, okay. go, you know, what are we going to talk about? I go, listen. Don't worry about well, it. Uh, well, Marcy, <laughs> your affability <laughs> makes it easy, easy for people to talk, you know. With well, Lou, uh, because, you know, I mean, you, you yeah. that's what because we talk. I talk a lot. I, I guess, so I guess going back in time, that works out in my favor <laughs> when my teachers did not like that too much. <laughs> Let me, let, me tell you, let me ask you something here. You know, yeah. silence on a talk show doesn't do very well. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so of course you, of course you talk a lot. I mean, you know, no, she's silent a lot on her show. You know, you know. <laughs> I said, "There's no lull. Don't real. worry about a lull." They go, "What about a lull?" I go, "Don't worry about a lull. We don't even need a lull." Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid years of later, or whatever. Time. Yeah. You know, I miss Virginia. You know, Virginia and I did shows together, and I met so many different people. You know, and so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, I hope for everybody mm-hmm. has a really good New Year. You know, uh, Ellie. I always call you Eleanor. I know Jack calls you Ellie. I know I just call people the same name the way I meet them. So it's Eleanor, like them. <laughs> well, yeah. like is there something like else you want to talk to say? You want to say something before you know before we're ending? Do you have anything to say? Except I'm hoping you're going, going to say that. First. That sounds like a curtain line. I'm going to have to get no, off you wanna, here. No, do you want to? Do you want I can stay on, but I, you know, it's I, 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 I can. Stay I have 45 more minutes on this show. But is there something that you want to talk about while we're here? Well, well, you, you know, I, you know, this 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 whole thing has been eating at me for years, Marcia. You know, the whole question of technique. And the reason I ask it is because when I work with other writers, and as Ellie knows, I, I do that quite a lot. Yes, you do. I've yeah. discovered something about technique. Technique disappears when story emerges. In other yeah. words, you, I yeah. write something and I do a process or I put a, apply a technique like sentence length. And when the reader reads it, that technique isn't visible because the words have taken it over. So my yeah. question mm-hmm. has always been, how do you make technique transparent? Now, Elmore Leonard in his Ten Rules of Writing, he says... If it sounds like writing, I rewrite it. Well, wow, what an idea. You know? He also says, leave out the parts readers tend to skip. What, what does that mean? You see? So I've, I've got this whole notion now about technique. Well, I kind of do that. I, I think I do that in a way because I, I mm-hmm. don't put, right, because I have a lot of dialogue and, well, that's actually what he wrote is tons of dialogue because mm-hmm. that's where they're all turned into, you know, movies. But, you know, but when you're writing, it, you know, because sometimes at the beginning when you first start writing, you think, well, do I need to say this or do I need to say that? But if you really edit it out and just say it in a couple sentences, it says a lot. Right. Yeah. Well, mm, you don't need to put everything I, here's, here's a technique that I use, and I know I've used this with Ellie. So a yeah. character is speaking, you know, have a dialogue insertion, and the character says one, two, three, right? 
And I say, okay, you said it in three beats. Can you say it in two? If you say it in two, can you say it in one? In other words, the whole notion of good writing seems to be somehow compressing vastness into a pinpoint. You know, if you yeah. can get the, then you get this tension in it. That's called artistic tension, when the story mm-hmm. ex, 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 almost is on the verge of bursting loose. You know, and your reader mm-hmm. feels that because emotion is driving all that. So I think that what I have been trying to work on for the last few years is how to apply techniques that, in fact, mm-hmm. enhance the emotional content. Say of a paragraph or a sentence, I don't even know what a paragraph is, but how do you how do you increase the emotional intensity? And I have a, a mm-hmm. thing that I say, you know, once you get the reader on board, don't let them get off. You've got to have yeah. that impulse to the writing, keep going, push, 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 push. Yeah. Say, it's exactly. exhausting. I say, yes, but your reader didn't put the book down. But the thing is, right? I think when you're done, when you're writing, you should be tired. Aren't you tired after you write because you're talking for all these people? Oh God, yes. Eleanor, aren't you? Exactly. It's it's a tiring process. It is. It's a tire. It's a good tire, though. Yes, good tire. uh, Yeah. You're right. It's like like oh yeah, it's a good tire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. Jack, what about, um, I don't know if we have time to talk about your new book called Pieces. Is okay, that Jack, tell, oh, okay. tell us about uh, your book. Yeah. Tell us about your book. Okay. Uh, I have written a lot through time, and I have a lot of pieces that uh, didn't go into a poetry book or a novel or a short story collection. But they're mm-hmm. they're interesting pieces, but they're not attached to anything. And so what mm-hmm. I thought I would do is sort of put them together as idea. sort of a sort of a, a, a smorgasbord, you know. Mm. Uh, see, not everything. It's a good idea. I, see, I think we write more than we use. You know, we mm-hmm. have to in order to find out what oh, we yeah. really want to say. So the yeah, pieces for me are short mm-hmm. stories, chunks, poems. In fact, I, mm-hmm. I have a a long one in there called Ciudad uh, Satelite, which is about an adventure in Mexico City. There's a notes about mm-hmm. notes about my grandfather. And these are pieces that are disconnected from the yeah. spread of my work, but they have mm-hmm. an integrity of their own. That's and true. I kind of want right. to get them down. Now it That's turns out that it turns out that this is related to something that I've discovered through Edward Said, who's a philosopher writer. Uh, called late style. I, I didn't understand late style. I didn't understand so much about the later work of writers or the later music of musicians yeah. until I read this mm-hmm. article. And he, in this article, he talks about Beethoven and a philosopher named Adorno. And he says, Beethoven's late style in the Opus 111, the 32nd Piano Sonata, is unlike anything anybody had ever written before. And then he goes into the notion that there comes a time when a writer, in a, in a, almost in, in the greatest stage of maturity, realizes that everything that had been done up to that time relied on a certain set of rules, and he's in the process of inventing new rules or new ways mm. to do things. 
I think there are new rules. I think people don't have. I think when writing now, some of the things I've seen, and in your writing also, Jack, some of the writing is very different. You know, in the style, the font. You know, um, you change that, and I and I'm going like, well, if he can do it, I could do it too. You know, but I don't do that. But it it takes a lot of guts to do that. But you have a publisher that lets you. You take a risk when you do that because the editors say, oh, you don't want to change fonts. Yeah, you know that's not right. You know, well, that's a rule that you're saying. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I want maybe. What if I do change font? What if I See, it's it's willing to take the risk and to forego yep. the strictures that the yeah. editors and the publishers have put out there. Said this is what a novel is, and you right. say, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute, and that's wait right. a minute. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think that's well, true. That's I think that's why that's why change is good. Change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. To be able yeah. to do that. Yeah. Eleanor, what were you yeah. going to say? Some. I was yeah. saying that that uh, Jack's novel, The Citadel, was a perfect example of that. It yeah. it blew everything out of the water <laughs> in yeah. so many right. ways. Everything you've ever learned, <laughs> right? And you know, and I think that's good. I think that's a good really? thing. You know, I I am going to you know I don't know where I'm going to put I've put it in a, put it in a blog or whatever. I have a feel like because I was an agent and I had so many good writers and all their scripts just. They they wouldn't take them because they're new writers. And I'm thinking, you know, because I'm on different sites, and I've decided, oh, I'll put my scripts out again. And the one thing I want to write about and actually talk about is when producers, mm-hmm. directors, they're looking for stories. Well, if they're going to, mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't even want to use the script. They should read more books for movies, which the younger ones are starting to do, a lot of the producers. And also, mm-hmm. if you when you do a screenplay, they want you to do a log line and a synopsis. Well, in mm-hmm. my, this is just my opinion, because I read everybody's scripts, because mm-hmm. I think a log line and I think a synopsis is, to me, they just never sound great. But the, the story itself or the screenplay could be fabulous. Well, Barbara, and if let, you let, ask, me inter- well, let me interject. Yeah. See, you're 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 in laid style when you say I'm not going to do what they told me to do. Because you see right. that exactly. that rule is a limitation. It it excludes rather than includes. Yeah, so but it's what so sad though because if they could find I'm scripts, read the they could find not it. the synopsis. Yeah. 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 Because mm-hmm. the screenplay yeah. is the story. The synopsis, to mm-hmm. me, just my opinion, it sounds trite. It does, you yeah. know. And a yeah. logline, and a logline is just one sentence. So if you're writing, right. let's say, romantic, comedy, horror, how do you, you describe it in one sentence? No, that's because they needed to go out and sell the movie. But when they sell the movie with that one log line, sometimes the movie isn't good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't follow through what that log mm-hmm. line was. Mm-hmm. They just got that's it to the right, right that's person. The stricture, that's the stricture that they place on you. You know, yep. the greatest exactly. log line of all time, the greatest log line of all time occurs in a movie called The Player where this guy is going to pitch a screenplay yeah, yeah. to a director. <laughs> yeah. And you know the uh-huh. you know what I'm going to say, right? Not that I know that okay, movie, right. Says, he said, Jaws in space. Right. Jaws in space, wait a minute. Yeah. You know. Anyway, yeah. you're, you're and that's absolutely really, right. And that's, that, that's a good movie, actually. I forgot about that movie. I should watch well, that yeah, movie. Yeah, sure it is. Yeah, yeah. I love movies. Everybody knows that I love them. I do love movies. I love movies. And if you look at old movies, you get that. If people want to learn how to write dialogue, 
they should oh, yeah. watch old mo- they should watch old movies. They have really mm-hmm. good dialogue. Nobody cares. I they agree. just talk. Yeah, they talk. Uh-huh. Yeah. And foreign films. That's how I do it. Too. Yes. I love yeah, yeah, foreign, foreign yeah. films for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's Definitely. why Netflix we've changed a lot. There's there's so many different things that have evolved and that's a good thing for writers, I think. You know, there's more openings than there ever were before. So my right. you know, New Year's resolution to everybody out there is just keep writing. You know, that's keep really writing. the way it goes. Don't stop. Yeah. Yep. Keep you know, reading, keep if you writing. stop you're never gonna know. Yeah, take a risk. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. kind of what I was talking about. If you have to have a technique that sets such a deep, uh, compelling yeah. or impulsive st- structure to the piece that you don't want to turn a, the reader to get off the, the train, that is by definition a page turner, right? That yeah. It's so intense and so driving that your reader just yeah. has to, well, what happens next? And then and then. Yeah. It, in one in one way. But in late style, I'm not sure that that applies. You, Dennis has been on. Mm-hmm. Dennis Must has been on. Yes, Dennis show, Must. Yeah. yeah. He has written mm-hmm. three novels now in late style that are just amazing. Yeah. I mean, he he's got this thing that he calls the the, the scaffolding. It's the, the 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 accepted structure that readers or editors they want, and then there are these deeper things that he plunges you into, he'll write a sentence and then the bottom falls out of and you've suddenly met with this incredible image like in the one he just sent me that I'm reading, he calls something and then Jack, do you think he'll come on again? Seeds, Maybe we should have him on the, the show. Seeds of death. Jack, do, Jack, yeah. do you think he'll, he'll come on the show again? Wait he's very deep and intense. Do you think he'll yeah, come on the show would, again? He you know, would, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, yeah he'd, he'd love to do it. You know, he, he listens okay. to all the shows. You know. He's what? Yeah. You know, he, yeah. Because he's, he's a very he's deep, been, intense he's writer. He's writing, you know, and he works. It's interesting that Dennis works with a an, an not a, not an illustrator with a graphic artist named Russ Spitkowski, and Russ mm-hmm. Spitkowski somehow has the ability to read Dennis's word images and render yeah. them not as illustrations but as very profound works in and of themselves that are almost parallel yeah. to the story. Right. It's a, yeah. an amazing union, you know, I mean. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but, but, I agree. And so that's a, that's the thing. There's so many different writers out there and styles, and that's really mm-hmm. what it is. And so if you are bold enough, which people should, to just try another, don't read only the same genre. You know, it's like that's if you're right. watching a movie, don't read, don't watch everything that's the same. Watch everything you can because you get a lot out of different styles. That's how I learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that this has been a really true. good, interesting show today. <laughs> so yes. not that I would expect anything from the two of you less. So thank you so much <laughs> for being you. on. And I want to wish everybody out there happy, healthy New Year. And Jack and Eleanor, happy to come on again. I hope I'm loving having you on the show. Thank you. And Priscilla thank will you. be on again. And hopefully we can get a time for Jasmina, you know, to so, be on. Okay, that would well, be great. Marcia, happy, happy holiday. And I want to thank, thank you, you for everything you do yeah. for the writing community and for <laughs> individual you. writers. and. Oh, well, thank you. Your enthusiasm for new for new writers and everything. Yeah, you, I, I, you're I just am, a real jewel in the culture out there. We I need more Marshes. Yeah. 
Definitely. <laughs> you could ask my yeah, husband that. Okay. I love you both, and we'll see you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you to all thank the listeners. You. I appreciate love it you all year long. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.